Section five of My Strange Rescue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. My Strange Rescue by James MacDonald Oxley. Section five. The Cave in the Cliff. Say, Bruce, don't you think we could manage to put in a whole week up among the hills this autumn? asked Fred Harris of Bruce Borden, as the two friends strolled along together one September afternoon through the main street of Shelbourne, one of the prettiest towns upon the Nova Scotian seaboard. "'I guess so, Fred,' responded Bruce promptly. "'Father promised me a week's holiday to spend any way I chose if I stuck to the shop all summer, and I've been thinking for some time what I would do. That's a grand idea of yours. When would we go?' "'About the first of next month would be the best time, wouldn't it? "'We could shoot partridges then, you know, "'and there won't be any mosquitoes or black flies to bother us. "'All right, Fred, crowd me in. "'I'm just dying for a shot at the partridges. "'And besides, I know of a lake way up in the hills "'where there are more trout than we could catch in a year, "'and splendid big fellows, too. "'Archie Mack was telling me about it the other day. "'Why, that's the very place I wanted to go.' "'And it was Archie who told me about it, too,' said Fred. "'I'll tell you what, Bruce, we must get Archie to come with us, "'and then we'll have a fine time, for sure.' "'Hooray! You've got the notion now,' cried Bruce, with delight. "'Archie's a splendid fellow for the woods, and he's such a good shot. "'He hardly ever misses. "'Why, I wouldn't mind meeting a bear if Archie was present.' "'Ah, wouldn't you, though, Mr. Bruce?' laughed Fred. "'I guess if either you or I were to come across a bear, "'he'd see more of our heels than our face. "'I know I wouldn't want to stop to make his acquaintance.' "'And I'll warrant Archie wouldn't run from any bear,' said Bruce, "'and I'm not so sure that I would either. "'However, there's small chance of our seeing one, "'so it's not much good talking about it. "'But I must run back to the shop now. "'Why don't you come in after tea tonight and we'll make our plans?' "'Fred promised he would, and went on down the street.' while Bruce returned to his place behind the counter, and if he was a little absent-minded in attending to the customers, so that he gave Mrs. White pepper instead of salt, and Mrs. McCoy tea instead of coffee, we must not be too hard upon him. Bruce Borden was the son of one of the most thriving shopkeepers in Shelburne, and his father, after letting him go to school and the academy until he was sixteen years of age, had then put an apron on him and installed him behind the counter, there to learn the management of the business, which he promised him would be Robert Borden and son in due time, if Bruce took hold of it in the right way. And Bruce did take hold. He was a bright, active, energetic lad, with a pleasant manner, and made an excellent clerk, pleasing his father so well that as the first year's apprenticeship was drawing to a close, Mr. Borden, quite of his own accord, made glad Bruce's heart by saying that he might soon have a whole week's holiday to do what he liked with, before settling down to the winter's work. Bruce's friend, Fred Harris, as the son of a wealthy mill-owner, who held mortgages on half the farms in the neighbourhood, did not need to go behind a counter, but on the contrary went to college about the same time that Bruce put on his apron. He was now at home for the vacation, which would not end until the last of October. He was a lazy, luxurious kind of a chap, although not lacking either in mind or muscle, as he had shown more than once when the occasion demanded it. Bruce and he had been playmates from the days of short frocks, 
and were very strongly attached to one another. They rarely disagreed, and when they did, made it up again as soon as possible. In accordance with his promise, Fred Harris came to Mr. Borden's shop that same evening, just before they were closing up, bringing Archie Mack with him, and after the shutters had been put on and everything arranged for the night, the three boys sat down to perfect their plans for the proposed hunting excursion to the hills. Archie Mack bore quite a different appearance from his companions. He was older to begin with, and much taller, his long sinewy frame betokening a more than usual amount of strength and activity. He had only of late come to Shelburne, the early part of his life having been spent on one of the pioneer farms among the hills, where he had become almost as good a woodsman as an Indian, seeming to be able to find his way without difficulty through what looked like trackless wilderness, and to know everything about the birds in the air, the beasts on the ground, or the fish in the waters. This knowledge, of course, made him a good deal of a hero among the town boys, and they regarded acquaintance with him as quite a privilege, particularly as, being of a reserved, retiring nature, like all true backwoodsmen, it was not easy to get on intimate terms with him. He was now employed at Mr. Harris's big lumber mill, and was in high favour with his master because of the energy and fidelity with which he attended to his work. "'Now then, Fred, let's to business,' said Bruce, as they took possession of the chairs in the back office. "'When shall we start, and what shall we take?' "'Archie's the man to answer these questions,' answered Fred. "'I move that we appoint him commander-in-chief of the expedition, with full power to settle everything.' "'You'd better make sure that I can go first, said Archie. "'It won't do to be counting your chickens before they're hatched.' "'Oh, there's no fear of that,' replied Fred.' "'Father promised me he'd give you a week's holiday "'so that we could go hunting together some time this autumn, "'and he never fails to keep his promises.' "'All right, then, Fred, if you say so. "'I'm only too willing to go with you, you may be sure. "'So let us proceed to business,' said Archie. "'And for the next hour or more the three tongues wagged very busily "'as all sorts of plans were proposed, discussed, accepted, or rejected, "'Archie, of course, taking the lead in the consultation "'and usually having the final say.' At length everything was settled so far as it could be then, and, very well satisfied with the result of their deliberations, the boys parted for the night. As soon as he got home, Fred Harris told his father all about it, and readily obtained his consent to giving Archie a week's leave. There was, therefore, nothing more to be done than to get their guns and other things ready, and await the coming of the 1st of October with all the patience at their command. October is a glorious month in Nova Scotia. The sun shines down day after day from an almost cloudless sky. The air is clear, cool, and bracing, without being keen. The ground is dry and firm. The forests are decked in wonderful garb of gold and flame, interwoven with green whose richness and beauty defy description, and beneath which a wealth of wild fruit and berries, cherries, plums, Indian pears, blackberries, huckleberries, blueberries, and pigeonberries, tempts you at every step by its luscious largesse. But for the sportsman there are still greater attractions in the partridges which fly in flocks among the trees, and the trout and salmon which flash through the streams, ready victims for rod or gun. Early in the morning of the last day of September the three boys set out for the hills. It would be a whole day's drive, for their wagon was pretty heavily loaded with tent, stove, provisions, bedding, ammunition, and other things, 
and moreover the road went uphill all the way so steep indeed were some of the ascents that they found it necessary to relieve the wagon of their weight or the horse could hardly have reached the top but all this was fun to them they rode or walked as the case required talked till their tongues were tired about what they hoped to do laughed at prince and oscar their two dogs one a fine english setter the other a nondescript kind of hound as they scoured the woods on either side of the road with great airs of importance scared the squirrels that stopped for a peep at the travellers by snapping caps at them and altogether enjoyed themselves greatly just as the evening shadows were beginning to fall they reached the farm on which archie mac's father lived where they were to spend the night and to leave their wagon until their return from camp mr mac gave them a hearty welcome and a bountiful backwoods supper of fried chicken corn cake buttermilk and so forth for which they had most appreciative appetites and soon after thoroughly tired out they tumbled into bed to sleep like tops until the morning cock-a-doodle-doo time to get up out of bed with you rang through the house the next morning as archie mac who was the first to waken proceeded to wake everybody else oh dear how sleepy i am groaned fred harris rubbing his eyes and feeling as though he had been asleep only a few minutes up everybody no time to waste shouted archie again and with great reluctance the other two boys dragging themselves out on the floor got into their clothes as quickly as they could breakfast was hurriedly dispatched and soon after with all their belongings packed on an old two-wheeled cart drawn by a patient sure-footed ox and driven by mr mac himself the little party made their way through the woods to the camping-ground which was to be on the shore of the lake archie had been telling them about without much difficulty they found a capital spot for their tent mr mac helped them to put it up and get everything in order and then bade them good-bye promising to return in six days to take them all back again the first four days passed away without anything of special note happening they had glorious weather fine fishing and very successful shooting they waded in the water tramped through the woods ate like eskimos and slept like stones getting browner and fatter every day as nothing occurred to mar the pleasure of their camp-out on the afternoon of the fourth day they all went off in different directions fred taking prince the setter with him bruce the hound oscar and archie going alone when they got back to camp that evening bruce had a wonderful story to tell here it is in his own words tell you what it is fellows we've a big contract on hand for to-morrow you know that run which comes into the lake at the upper end well i thought i'd follow it up and see where it leads to so on i went for at least a couple of miles till i came to a big cliff i felt a little tired and sat down on a boulder to rest a bit oscar kept running around with his nose at the ground as if he suspected something all of a sudden he stopped short sniffed very hard and then with a loud long howl rushed off to the cliff and began to climb a kind of ledge that gave him a foothold i followed him as best i could but it wasn't easy work i can tell you up he went and up i scrambled after him till at last he stopped where there was a sort of shelf and at the end of it a big hole in the rock that looked very much like a cave he ran right up to the hole and began to bark with all his might i went up pretty close too wondering what on earth oscar was so excited about when the first thing i knew 
one bear's head and then another poked out of the hole and snarled fiercely at oscar i tell you boys it just made me creep and i didn't wait for another look but tumbled down that ledge again as fast as i could and made for camp on the dead run it was not my day for bears you're a wise chap bruce said archie clapping him on the back you couldn't have done much damage with that shotgun even if you had stayed to introduce yourself i'm awfully glad you found the cave father told me about these bears and said he'd give a sovereign for their tails there's an old she-bear and two half-grown cubs i guess it was the cubs you saw the old woman must have been out visiting if i'd known they were only cubs i might have tried a dose of small shot on them said bruce regretfully it's as well you didn't answered archie we'll pay our respects to them to-morrow i'll take my rifle and you two load up with ball in both barrels and then we'll be ready for business so it was all arranged in that way and then almost too excited to sleep the three lads settled down for the night which could not be too short to please them they were up bright and early the next morning bolted a hasty breakfast and then proceeded to clean and load their guns with the utmost care fred and bruce each had fine double-barrelled guns in one barrel of which they put a bullet and in the other a heavy load of buckshot archie had his father's rifle and a very good one it was which he well knew how to use besides this each carried a keen-bladed hunting-knife in his belt thus armed and accoutred they set forth full of courage and in high spirits they had no difficulty in finding and following bruce's course the day before for oscar who seemed thoroughly to understand what they were about led them straight to the foot of the cliff and would have rushed right up to the cave again if archie had not caught him and tied him to a boulder then they sat down to study the situation for them to go straight up the ledge with the chance of the old bear charging down upon them any moment would be foolhardy in the extreme they must find out some better way than that of besieging the bear's stronghold hooray exclaimed archie after studying the face of the cliff earnestly i have it do you see that ledge over there to the left if we go round to the other side of the cliff we can get on that ledge most likely and it'll take us right over the shelf where the cave is we'll try it anyway holding oscar tight they crept cautiously around the foot of the cliff and up at the left until they reached the point archie meant there sure enough they found the ledge two sharp eyes had discovered and it evidently led over toward the cave just as he hoped once more tying the dog who looked up at them in surprised protest but was too well trained to make any noise the boys made their way slowly along the narrow ledge until at last they came to a kind of niche from which they could look straight down upon the shelf now only about fifteen feet below them splendid boys whispered archie gripping fred's arm we're as safe as a church mouse here and they can't poke their noses out of the cave without our seeing them keeping very still and quiet the boys waited patiently for what would happen then getting tired of the inaction bruce picked up a fragment of rock and threw it down upon the ledge below where it rattled noisily immediately a deep fierce growl came from the cave and a moment afterwards the old bear herself rolled out into the sunshine the top of the morning to you missus called out archie saucily and how may your ladyship be feeling this morning at the sound of his voice the bear turned quickly and catching sight of the three boys in such close proximity to the privacy of her home 
uttered a terrible roar of rage, and rearing up on her hind legs, strove to climb the piece of cliff that separated them from her. Bruce and Fred, who had never seen a wild bear before, shrank terror-stricken into the corner, but Archie, looking as cool as a cucumber, stood his ground, rifle in hand. "'No, no, my lady, not this morning,' said he, with an ironical bow. "'You're quite near enough already.' Foiled in her first attempt, the great creature gathered herself together for another spring, and once more came toward them with a savage roar. As she did so, her broad, black breast was fully exposed. Without a tremor of fear or excitement, Archie lifted his rifle to his shoulder and aimed straight at the bear's heart. A sharp report rang out through the clear morning air, followed by a hideous howl of mingled rage and pain, and when the smoke cleared away, the boys, with throbbing hearts, looked down upon a huge black shape that writhed and struggled in the agonies of death. A simultaneous shout of victory burst from their lips and gave relief to their excited emotions. "'Hooray, Archie, you've done for her!' cried Fred, clapping him vigorously on the back. "'Yes, I reckon she won't have any more mutton at father's expense,' said Archie, with a triumphant smile. "'Just look at her now. Isn't she a monster?' In truth, she was a monster, and even though the life seemed to have completely left her, the boys thought it well to wait a good many minutes before going any nearer. After some time, when there could be no longer any doubt, they scrambled down the way they came, and unloosing Oscar, approached the cave from the front. Oscar bound on ahead with eager leaps, and catching sight of the big black body, rushed furiously at it. But the moment he reached it, he stopped, smelled the body suspiciously, and then gave vent to a strange long howl that sounded curiously like a death lament. After that there could be nothing more to fear, so the three boys climbed up on the shelf and proceeded to examine their quarry. She was very large, and in splendid condition, having been feasting upon unlimited berries for weeks past. "'Now for the cubs,' said Archie. "'The job's only half done if we leave these young rascals alone. I'm sorry they're too big to take alive. <laughs> Oscar says they're at home.' Sure enough, the hound was barking furiously at the mouth of the cave, which he appeared none too anxious to enter. "'Bruce, suppose you try what damage your buckshot would do in there,' suggested Archie. "'All right,' assented Bruce, and going up to the mouth he peered in. Two pairs of gleaming eyes that were much nearer than he expected made him start back with an exclamation of surprise. But, quickly recovering himself, he raised his gun and fired right at the little round balls of light. Following upon the report came a series of queer cries, half growls, half whimpers, and presently all was still. "'I guess that did the business,' said Bruce. "'Why don't you go in and see?' asked Archie. "'Thank you. I'd rather not. But you can, if you like,' replied Bruce. "'Very well, I will,' said Archie promptly, laying down his gun, and drawing his hunting-knife, he crawled cautiously into the cave. Not a move or sound was there inside. A little distance from the mouth he touched one soft furry body, from which life had fled, and just behind it another. The buckshot had done its work. The cubs were as dead as their mother. The next thing was to get them out. The cave was very low and narrow, and the cubs pretty big fellows. Archie crawled out again for a consultation with the others. Various plans were suggested, but rejected, 
until at length Archie called out, "'I have it! I'll crawl in there and get a good grip of one of the cubs, and then you fellows will catch hold of my legs and haul us both out together.' And so that was the way they managed it, pulling and puffing and toiling away, until finally, after tremendous exertion, they had the two cubs lying beside their mother on the ledge. "'Phew! That's quite enough work for me today,' said Fred, wiping the perspiration from his forehead. "'For me, too,' chorused the others. "'I move we go back to camp and wait there until father comes with his cart, and then come up here for the bears,' said Archie. "'Carried unanimously,' cried the others, and with that they all betook themselves back to camp. The rest of the story is soon told. Mr. Mack came along that afternoon, praised the boys highly for their pluck, and with experienced hands skinned and cut up the bears. To Archie, as of right, fell the skin of the old bear, while the others got a cub-pelt apiece, with which they went triumphantly home to be the heroes of the town for the next nine days at least. End of section 5